0: Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Students on Campus podcast, which is tracking our daily Bible reading schedule. And today we're in Romans chapter 9. Now, we've already seen in the last few days that the Apostle Paul, like a masterful lawyer, has been unfolding his case step by step to show us a complete view of the gospel of God. And when we come to chapters 9 through 11, This could be considered a parenthesis in the middle of this expounding on the gospel of God. This section is concerning God's selection and our destiny. That is, that our eternal destiny has been fully established by God's selection. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you been called by God? Well, I believe if you're listening to this podcast, then that's a pretty good indication that you've been called by God, or at least God is presently calling you. My next question is this. What is the basis of God's calling of you? Why would God choose you? Is it because you're such a wonderful person? Well, what we see in chapter 9 is that God's selection of us, is based solely upon his own choice, his mercy, and his sovereignty. It is based upon what he, as the sovereign master, has decided. Number one, it has nothing to do with a genealogical relationship with Christ. I mean, here at the beginning of chapter 9, Paul told his fellow Israelites, uh, that their lineage includes all the forefathers like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so forth, and he tells them that even the Christ, according to his human nature, has come out of the children of Israel. Yet, God's selection is not based on having such a tremendous genealogical relationship with Christ. No, the natural birth is inadequate to make them, or anyone else for that matter, children of God. They need to be born again, and this applies to all of us. Number two, we see that God's selection is not according to man's work. Paul demonstrates this fact clearly by pointing to uh, Jacob and his brother Esau, and that before they were even born and had a chance to do anything good or bad, God had already selected Jacob as the one he loved but Esau he hated. Furthermore, number 3, we see that God's selection is fully based upon His mercy. In verse 15, we read of God saying to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now when God says, I will, we should not argue with Him. I mean, we're not God. We don't have His sovereignty. We might reason with him and ask, you know, God, why did you love Jacob and hate Esau? But God would probably reply, don't argue with me, I will do it. I will to do it. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Everything depends on my will. In verse 16, he continues, he says, It is not of the one who wills, nor of the one who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Oh, how we thank and praise and worship the Lord for His mercy. This verse also indicates clearly that God's selection is not according to our effort and labor. If we do know God's mercy, we will not put our trust in our effort, and also we will not be disappointed by our failures. God is the sovereign master, He's the potter, and we are the clay. And he has the full right and authority to do whatever he wants to do. Now at the end of chapter 9, we see that God's selection is through the righteousness which is out of faith. Any attempt to keep the law or to do good, to please God, which would be really man's efforts to establish his own righteousness, that will cause people to miss the way of God's salvation. We share in God's selection by the righteousness of God, which is out of faith. The last verse of the chapter says that he who believes on him, that is, he who believes on Christ, shall not be put to shame. Praise the Lord. Now, before I end this brief overview of Romans 9, I would be remiss if I failed to point out a tremendous gem right in the middle of this chapter. Let me read verse 21. It says, Or does not the potter have authority over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Here Paul uses the word vessel in reference to his creation of us. I know some versions may translate that word as objects, but actually we are vessels, just like a a potter would fashion a piece of clay into a vessel, a pot, a container. Man is a vessel. This verse, it, it discloses, it opens to us God's purpose in creating man. And it's unique in its revelation of God's purpose in the creation of man. Without this verse, uh, it might be difficult for us to realize that God's purpose in creating man was to make him a vessel to contain God. So we all re- really need to thoroughly understand this, this fact. 2 Corinthians 4.7 says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are earthen vessels and God is the treasure and content. God has sovereignly created us to be his containers according to his predestination. This shows also that God's selection has a goal. To have many vessels to contain God and to express him eternally. So many of us have missed the mark of God's goal, thinking that it was simply to show His love in saving us. Yes, He He does love us. However, His love is not only shown to save us, but to make us His vessels. God created us in such a way that we are able to take Him into us and contain Him as our life and life supply with the result that we be one with Him to express what He is and that He be glorified in us and with us. This is the eternal goal of God's selection. It is also our eternal destiny. This portion of the word also unfolds the climax of our usefulness to God which is to be used by Him as vessels to contain Him and express Him. When I was a young teenager, I prayed every night before I went to bed, for for a number of years actually, I prayed Lord, make me useful to you for your purpose. I don't know what your purpose is, but I want to be useful to you for your purpose. Now, by his mercy and through the expounding of the Apostle Paul in Romans 9, I see what God's purpose is, and I pray that you will see it too.